Welcome to the Christchurch Manchester Theology Podcast. The CCM School of Theology meets monthly on Saturday mornings at Luther King House in Manchester. For more information about the training that we offer or about our church in Manchester, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. What I want to do is uh, sort of move towards the creation accounts, really, so those early chapters. But just in case, just so that we don't lose anything, is there anything that, from the Genesis as a whole picture, you kind of just want to make sure you've sort of closed off? Any questions or thoughts or reflections that you had? It's a great, it's a great question and it's a great reflection. And no, don't be sorry. And never, never introduce a question by I'm sorry. All right. There's nothing to be sorry about at all. Um, except saying I'm sorry. Then you've got to be sorry about introducing I'm sorry. All right. That's the only thing you've got to be sorry about. Are we clear? Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's the, well, I'm glad. I accept your apology. Um, <laughs> the question uh, for those uh, sitting at the front was this. It was about the nakedness of Adam and Eve in the garden and about the serpent speaking. And the answer to that is, we'll come to it in a moment. Yeah, that's a good question, isn't it? The, how do we take seriously that God regretted creating? How do we deal with that? In chapter 6. Isn't that what you said in one of the unanswerable questions? Well, I mean, there is that, always that helpful category of uh, it's a mystery. Actually, though, I think, I think there's a wider question here because it's not just here where that sort of thing, where God feels... Rega- the interesting thing about in the book of Genesis is the way that, that, that God, and in Exodus, that God seems open to bartering. <laughs> God says, I'm going to wipe out Sodom. And uh, Abraham goes, well, what if we could find 50 good people? Well, then I wouldn't do it. What if we could go down to 30? Well, I wouldn't. And, and, and now this, for some of us, feels a little, I'm not sure, A, you should talk to God like that. And B, I'm not sure God does those sort of deals. And three, it doesn't seem to make sense in terms of um, predestination and uh, uh, it's sort of the sovereignty of God. So one way of dealing with this, and I think the, the best way of dealing with this, is go, do you know what? The Bible is unafraid of saying, this is how God deals with his people. And, his people, and, and God deals in ways that people can understand. So does, does God regret creating creation at that point? Well, the Bible said he did. <laughs> I'm worried now what I just said. <laughs> yeah. Creating creating He regretted what had happened. Yeah. At that point. Yeah. But let's be honest, he, he was willing according to the story, he's willing to take a very stern approach to it. I regret it, I'll I'll wipe it out. He knew what was gonna happen as well. That's the so he knew that he would regret it. <laughs> <laughs> but he still did it, so he couldn't have really regretted it. 
<laughs> but is this, is this where, it's, it's kind of, I think what happens is, I'll come to you in a moment if that's okay. I think what happens is we, we can be in danger of trying to fit onto scripture an existing way of thinking about God. And then it's like a cookie cutter. We push down and out comes up only what we want to see. So we want to hold to this idea. Does God know what's going on? And does God know what's going to happen tomorrow? Well, we want to say yes. But does that mean that God is in fully engaged with your action today? Yes. Can you hold two things together? Can you surprise God? Exactly. How do you deal with the sovereignty of God? So does God rule the universe in such a way that there's nothing you can do that will step outside his desires for humanity? And some people want to say no, and some people want to go, well, truthfully, some people go, well, yes, and then God has to sort of recalibrate. Oh, you're so British. <laughs> go on. Do you know, it, well, it seems to me like God's created us and he's regretted us because we, we sin, don't we? So we've got lots of sins. And, and, but it's almost like it's a compromise. Of, so like you said about the, the deal, like if I can find 50 pretty people, there's always going to be, be people that will do what they're told and there's always going to be people that won't do as they're told. So it seems to me like God just wants us to follow him, but if you don't, you just have to compromise and do what you're told. <laughs> yeah, I think. <laughs> What's your name? Harriet. Harriet. It's, it sounds like Harriet just sounds so sensible. It's like, just leave the universe with me for a while. I'll be okay. <laughs> I think there's a sense in which that there is tension within Scripture between sovereignty and free will. There is tension between a God who seems to suffer along with us and a God who is outside of that. So does God have the same emotions in any way that we might understand? Well, he wants us to be like him. He is like him. Okay, so to that extent, we might go, well, our emotions then might mirror some of God's. But then does God really have those emotions? Or is he, but in a clouded mirror? So that's, that, yeah, so it's, it, we, we'll never fully understand. But you know, you get it in the New Testament. Jesus stands outside Lazarus's, Lazarus's grave and cries. Why is he crying? Do you know what I mean? Because his friends have died. But five minutes later, his friends are going to be back again. So why is he crying? <laughs> He's, is he grieving with people? But then in other contexts, he'll go into the bedroom of a little girl and go, stop this wailing and crying. So he doesn't do it in other contexts. So why is he doing it here? And um, you're left thinking, I don't know. But does, does, doesn't it make it seem that then God's really interesting as opposed to some yeah. mega God who we, we cannot approach him. He, he does not relate to us. We can't relate to him. Yeah because he's dictating everything, whereas we know all these emotions and, and things he has within him that he's put in us. Yeah. That means we've got a really interesting Bible to read. Yeah. Compared to do this, do that, and don't do the other. 
God doesn't follow anybody's rules. And it's more complicated than we might imagine. I, I do think it... it I, I, do you know what I mean? In the, in the end of the day, we might not know these answers, but I do think you're supposed to go, so what sort of God have we got here? Jesus, Pardon? Maybe, maybe, I mean, you know, maybe he didn't know what was going to happen next. Although I think from the way, in that particular case, I think from the way John tells the story, I think Jesus did know what he was going to do, if I'm honest, at that point. But he waited on God, and then God showed him. Because um, why that specific one, not others? Yeah, we're back uh, unanswerable <laughs> questions, aren't we, really? When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we'll have no less days to ask these questions than when we first begun. I hope. Is there an element almost of it's the creator's prerogative? Yeah. I don't mean that as a benevolent. Yeah. But is it, you know, if somebody's creating something, they might decide to change it into something else, or they might... Yeah, I think that's reasonable. ...all over again. Yeah. Like, with no, there's almost a sense of actually... Goes back to we know our place, don't we? Goes back to we are created. Mm. It's the creator. So I'm not saying we shouldn't act, absolutely not, but there's no other end. We don't. Mm. That's, that's for God to decide. I think the, the important thing is that you bring all these questions to the next person who's doing this next month. <laughs> Whoever it is. The Bible begins with the story of creation. Um, but the creation story is uh, retold quite regularly um, throughout Scripture. And, and I just want to highlight um, the, the places perhaps where the, the story, this is not the only places, but some of the places where the story is retold. In Isaiah chapter 40, verses 21 to 31, to the returning exiles, the story is of creation. We've, we've got uncreation happening here on the front table um, of a flood <laughs> of coffee. Why might the returning exiles need to be reminded that God is a creator? So look at Isaiah 40. So Isaiah 40 is... The voice of one crying in the wilderness, um, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert, etc. Um, the, the people are coming back out of exile. They're coming out of Babylon. They're going back into their own land. Verse 21, do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. Its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy. He spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught, reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground. He blows on them, they wither, and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal, says the Lord, uh, the Holy One. Lift up your eyes, look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host, one by one, calls them each by name. Because of his great power and might, not one of them is missing. 
Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. His understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary, increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They'll soar on wings like eagles. They'll run, not grow weary, walk, not be faint. Why does Isaiah retell the creation story to a bunch of people who are going home? Yep. Yep. I think, I, think, I think you're onto it. I think it's exactly that. I think they've lived in Babylon. They've been shaped by a Babylonian story and they're being reminded of a creator God who is over Babylon. And you're going home and this is the creator God. This is God who names the stars. This is a God who uh, breathes and humanity dies. This is the God who is over all of the world and therefore hope in that Lord because then you will soar like wings. Like eagles on wings, uh, etc. There is a point in the Bible that says that actually it's very descriptive, or God is very descriptive of, 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 um, of telling us that we are creating gods in wooden. Yes. <coughs> so it's, it's in Isaiah, it comes in the next few chapters. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and that this God is not some household God. Do you know what I mean? This is the God of the whole universe. It's not like, um, you know, it's like when we sing, he is my Lord. He's not just your Lord. He's the Lord of the whole universe. He's the Lord of subatomic particles. He's the Lord of space and time and William Shatner and the rest of it. He's, he's, it's that sort of sense. It's that sort of size. And I think you're right. He's taking these exiles back. Who is this God that, that taking you home? Say again. And accessible to everybody. In Proverbs chapter 8, and I'm not going to read it, but in Proverbs chapter 8, it tells a story of creation where wisdom was at the foundations. And it, it personifies wisdom as a woman. And wisdom was uh, with God putting in place uh, the whole of creation. The world, chapter 8 wants to say, is based upon um, a logical, careful, connected way and in a context where the book of Proverbs is saying to a young man, whatever you get out of life, get wisdom. 
says, wisdom was there at the beginning. Don't keep on searching for this sort of wisdom. In John chapter one, John begins his gospel by saying, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Through him, all things were created. Who is Jesus? He's the one who stood amongst us. He just looked like any other 30 year old bloke in Palestine at that time. But actually this God man created through whom was part of the creating of the whole. It's bigger than you think, it's bigger than you think. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 to 21, the Colossians seem to have been um, tempted by super spirituality, uh, worshipping um, angels and the rest of it. And um, in the beginning, what does Colossians say? Let me just make sure I get that right with you. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. In him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things and in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. In him, all things were created. There's not one inch of this universe over which Jesus doesn't say it's mine. None of this sacred secular divide nonsense. None of this idea that there's a religious world and then there's the real world. It's all God's. Everything you've been involved with this week, etc. So let's look at the text. Let's look at Genesis chapter one. And um, what time is it? It's 11 o'clock. We're finishing it. Okay, we've got, we've got lots of time. In the beginning, God, <laughs> in the beginning, God, he created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It doesn't answer the questions you want to ask, does it? The book begins, the earth was there, God was there, God made it, but it wasn't fruitful. It was formless, empty, dark. The surface of the deep is a reference to seas, the surface of the deep and the seas in the uh, scripture, particularly with a place of threat. It was, a, uh, it, it was a place where chaos reigned. It's significant that Jesus walks on water, by the way. That's the significance of Jesus walking on water. Um, it's the place where um, the, the monsters were, if you will. But the spirit of God was hovering. It's an intimate term, over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good. He separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day. The darkness he called night. There was evening. There was morning the first day. 
And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. And God called the vault sky and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. And God called the dry ground land and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw it was good. And then God said, let the land produce vegetation seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds and trees bearing fruit with seed in it, according to their kinds. And God saw it was good and there was evening and there was morning the third day. So for the first time in this little account, you have something happening without God. The land produces vegetation. So God's created an environment in which this can happen, but now it just happens. There's an interdependence, in other words, between the creator and the creation at this point. So God, the account tells us, created or formed the world in such a way that the world is able to be fruitful in and of itself. So this, uh, these early verses um, reflect the form of the world, the way it's formed together. And then what you're going to do is we're going to talk about fullness. In verse 2, the bit we read, the earth was formless and empty. The creation now has created form and now he's going to fill it. Okay, so that's the connection point. God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from night. Let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. Let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day, the sun, the lesser light to govern the night the moon. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, to separate light from darkness. And God saw it was good. There was evening, there was morning, the fourth day. So now you've, from the form, he's filling it, filling it with stars, filling it with the sun, filling it with the moon. And I think, you know, I, I mentioned in passing before that the positioning of the sun and moon might be significant. It happens on the fourth day. It doesn't make sense in any scientific understanding of the world, but in a world in which you're trying to say the sun does not dominate our world, so don't worship it. The moon is not to be feared or offerings made to it, so don't worship it. It does make sense. Okay, so in other words, it's, got, it's, it's preaching to you. It's not just trying to give you an order of creation. The order of creation preaches. 
And God said, let the water teem with living creatures. Let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea. And every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it, according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the water in the seas, let the birds increase on the earth. There was evening, there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. God saw it was good. And then God said, let us make mankind. Now that's an interesting move because up till now the land has produced but not in terms of humanity. Now let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock, all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. Now, that is a verse full of uh, potential. Verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. One of the first commandments is don't create an image of God. The reason is because God has created an image of God. That's why you're not to create an image of God. Because there is one and it's something to do with the person that's sitting next to you. There's something about the person sitting next to you that reflects something of the brilliance of God. There's something about the person next to you that reflects the image of the creator. There's a stamp of the image of the creator that is upon that person that you are determinedly not looking at right now. <laughs> okay? In a minute. Because <laughs> that was just a comma. <laughs> okay? And therefore, don't try and create another image. Because in trying to create another image of God, you will probably not draw the person that's next to you. <laughs> but there's something about the image. Now, of course, when we start thinking about this, and this is, we're back to sort of children in Sunday school, <clears throat> it doesn't mean God looks like us. But it does mean there's something about God that we reflect. There's something about the interaction of one another. There's something about the desire for relationship. There's something about love. There's something about uh, connectedness that does reflect the creator. Now we know it's all 
a little flawed and mixed up and messed up. We know that. But actually, in the creation and the createdness of humanity, there's something that reflects the image of God, regardless of whether they acknowledge that or not, which is at the heart of human rights. Which is why Judeo-Christian society actually underpins human rights. Because we believe, regardless of the actions of the other person, they still reflect something of the image of God. We are precious because we have been created in his image. It's why we're different than animals. You know, dog might be your best friend. I hope not. (laughs) But we're different. We're of a different order. But it does mean, and it's got all sorts of implications about the way we treat one another and the way we work for justice and that we work for the rights of other people regardless of what they think because they too are made in the image of God. I know this is obvious. It's why it's got nothing to do with race or ethnicity because it transcends all of that stuff. We, humanity, together, reflect something of the creator. We, male and female, together reflect something of the creator. And to the extent that we are so similar and the extent that we are so different, reflect something of the creator. There's something about our identity. Let us. Who's the us? Well, it's not even explored at this point. It's just thrown in there, almost to tantalise you. God said, let us. Who are you talking to, God? Because we thought you were lonely out there in space. (laughs) But suddenly there's an us. There's a world that's bigger than you've now imagined. There's a world... If you're Jewish of angelic beings, of other spiritual beings through whom this world is being formed, this world is filled with enchantment greater than you might imagine. We thought it was a solitary God and suddenly God's talking to himself or not. He's talking to a council, a whole heavenly host of beings. Or for those of us who are Christians, is he talking to Jesus? And the gospel writers and Paul would suggest, yeah, at least Jesus, if not Jesus and the rest. Let us, let's do this. Let's do this together. Let's create something here that is of markedly different category than anything we've created yet. Let's call him man and woman. (laughs) Well, I think you have interjected. Well, what's, what's our in, our likeness then? Okay. So, there's a, there's a question here. All right, I'll come round to make it my point very serious. There's a, there's a question about how we deal with Scripture. 
Now, we read scripture through the lens of the New Testament because of Christ. But the other way of reading scripture is saying, does this passage make any sense apart from the New Testament? In other words, what did this passage mean all of those thousands of years before the New Testament was written? What does this passage mean to Jews? How do they read that now when they've not read it through Christ? So as Christians, we want to go, yeah, we want to read that through the Christological lens. I think you're, do you know what I mean? And, and we're safe to do that. It's like because the New Testament would suggest that that's actually now, it fills out scripture, if you like. But there's a legitimate question that goes, but who did the narrator think it was in the first place? Because they're not writing nonsense. Now, for some Christians, they'll go, well, they were writing about things they didn't know about, and it would be Jesus down the line. And that, that's, that's potentially true. Or they had a different way of understanding the world. And they were writing about that. It's intriguing, isn't it? It's intriguing. Now, your question that you didn't interject, very self-controlled. I'm done. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, my question was, um, God said, let the land produce the big region according to their kind and their livestock to create the moving along the ground and in their kind as well. But my question is, well, what is their kind if it's not been created before? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you didn't ask that question before. And I... <laughs> I kind of wish you'd not asked it now. Um, yeah, yeah, well, that's an appropriate sorry. I, th I think it's simply um, a way of explaining that um, so you've, got, you've got living creatures and then you've got subsets. You've got livestock, creatures that move along the ground, wild animals. And it's kind of like all of those sorts of categories. Sorry? Like a blanket. It's a blanket term. Blanket term, yeah. That's exactly what's going on there. Can I just uh, finish off this little sort of reflection about mankind being in God's image? Um, and without getting into the debate, I think at a time where in the last two years we've lived through um, Black Lives Matter, when we've lived through really, um, uh, at times, vicious um, debate about sexuality and identity. And, you know, all that goes with that. I think there's a role for um, people who take this passage really seriously to begin to ask the question, actually, where had we failed so that some people feel the need to go onto streets and say Black Lives Matter. Where did we fail? And I know that Black Lives Matter can mean simply that, um, or it can mean a sort of a whole way of viewing race and racial relations. But what did we miss? And, and you know, historically, you've got to say that Christians have not lived this passage out well. <clears throat> we've not lived it out interracially. We've not lived it out internationally. You know, 
Do you remember the, the, the massacres that happened in Rwanda between the Hutu and the Tutsi? A few years before the massacres happened, Christians were marching um, through uh, Kigali and the rest, singing, make way, make way, doing the Jesus marches together. But then when push came to shove, Hutus and Tutsis start to see each other differently and start to see each other as lesser. And that's why you start to... That's, that's the permission giving that allows you to start slaughtering the other. Because they're no longer in God's image. They are the other. And when we, we look at one another and we go actually to those who are struggling with sexual identity, if they become the other, they become the enemy. Whereas actually, however they think of themselves, however they're trying to make sense of their own identity, they are in the image of God. And if you start to fight, create a battle or a crusade on this passage that diminishes other people, you've taken the passage, you've, you've bent it out of all shape. So I think this would at least make us kind. <laughs> we might not understand everything, but at least make us kind. Because you are made in the image of God, even if at times you struggle with what that means. And let's be honest, how many of us in the room haven't struggled with issues of mental health, of food um, disorders, of other disorders that come our way? God blessed them and said to them, you be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over every living creature that moves on the ground. God said, I give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all he'd made and it was very good. There was evening, there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in their vast array. By the seventh day... God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work and God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. And so the Sabbath was formed. The three things that God blessed, the three things that God blessed Explicitly, creatures in the sea, humans, and Sabbath. Creatures in the sea, humans, and Sabbath. Why do you think the blessings might have been explicitly given to those three categories? What does blessing mean? It's a gift. What does blessing result in? Fruitfulness. Why does God bless um, the great creatures of the sea, every living thing with which for the water teams and that moves about it 
and every winged bird. And God saw it was both. God blessed them. So it's the sea and the birds. Well, the blessing is be fruitful and increase. Fill the water. Let the birds increase in the earth. So the fruitfulness of the sea and the sky, the fruitfulness of humans, he blessed them. And the promise was be fruitful and increase in number. Because he said, <laughs> it's interesting, they're all vegetarians, by the way, until the fall. Uh, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. That's the blessing. The blessing is to be fruitful. So the blessing of the Sabbath, how do you bless a day? What does fruitfulness of a day look like? What does it mean to bless time? So that you use it well. So it's used well. So that it's protected. So it's, pre yeah, protected. Anything else? Wholeness for us, I think. Say again? Wholeness for us. Wholeness for us who receive it. Maybe think about it. Allows you to think about the one that's created all of this. It makes time fruitful. So time is used differently. Yeah, yeah. Now, in a way that I, I'm not able to do, but the Sabbath theme runs through Scripture. It's one of the things that runs through Scripture. In fact, in, in the Torah, it's one of the things that can, you can be stoned to death for is working on the Sabbath. You might think that that's a little over the top. Except, why? What happens if you work... Seven days a week. Don't tell me you just get tired. That's not the answer I'm looking for. What happens? What happens to you? What happens to you mentally? What happens to you theologically? You don't have time to sit and reflect. You don't have time to sit and reflect. Yeah, Liv? Are you answering my question? Yeah, good. It will be an answer to the That sounds like I'm not going to answer it, but I'll get to it. Well, it is it's sandwiched by rest. Yeah. So it's, it comes, when it, when it says that God blessed the seventh day, it comes after it says that God rested, then it comes before it yep. says again that he rested. Um, so we don't rest and we start to think almost that we need to be constantly doing something productive. Good. Actually, we, like, God himself actually showed us that we need rest and showed us our limitations. <laughs> Interestingly, the moment, and this is where it's linked in the Old Testament, is uh, to a couple of things. Firstly, it is this idea of rest. But the second thing is, because when you were in Egypt, you didn't have a Sabbath. And in Egypt, you were just an economic unit of production. So the reason you are given a Sabbath is because, counterintuitively, this world will keep on revolving if you don't work. Doesn't make sense. And how many of you go, I'm, I'm living through, you know, or have lived through times where you go, I'm just too busy. I, I know I should take a day, but I'm just too busy at the moment. And, and we've all done it. Do you know what I mean? We've all said that and we've all had to do that. But actually, at that point, what happens to us is we now no longer are blessed. We are now a functionary. We are now an economic unit of production. 
the work, the blessing, the fruitfulness has now dictated to us. And the fruit, any fruitfulness. And actually, even that, do you know what I mean? It's like even the fruitfulness stops being enjoyable. And so this idea of Sabbath, and that's why through the Old Testament, the, the marker of what does it mean to be God's people is you, you don't break Sabbath. And that's why when we read it, sometimes it feels like, oh, don't, you make it a big mountain of a molehill. But actually it's because, because in creation it's there, but actually because if you don't, you stop being human. That's why it's so important. That's why it was such a marker for the people of God in the Old Testament. Yeah, entering the Sabbath rest. Yeah, it is. It is. It's not just an Old Testament law. So they would go to the synagogue and they... So what about the priests and all of the people there? Were they considered working then or how did that work? Um, about the sort of Christian version of that when we can try and sort of bring Sabbath into maybe our whatever day we choose, but if it's like Sunday, for example, then not everybody can do that. Yeah, so it doesn't seem that they had the same idea. You see, what we've done in our context, I think, is two things. Firstly is traditionally, probably not now, but traditionally we've made worship on Sunday really, really onerous. I grew up in the Salvation Army. This was my Sunday on a, this was my Sabbath. At 10 o'clock we used to go to Sunday school or an open air if you're an adult. At 11 o'clock we had a service. At two o'clock we had another Sunday school or an open air. And at three o'clock we had a service. And at six o'clock we had another service. And then, if we'd had visiting speakers or not, or a visiting band to play, at 8.30, <laughs> we had all the best bits again. It was like match of the day. And, um, <laughs> and that was my Sabbath. And my mum, bless her, used to make a full roast dinner because she thought everybody else did. Um, in the middle of that. Now, in a sense, at the end of a Sunday, you were absolutely exhausted. That's not a Sabbath. But this is the deal, and this is how I try and work this through, is on Sunday, when we gather together, part of Sabbath is worshipping together. So Sabbath is not me taking myself off into the hills on my own. Sabbath is reconnecting with family, reconnecting with the family of God, reconnecting with God. So I'm a pastor, so... Technically, I'm not paid for Sunday. Because on Sunday, I'm bringing the work I've done in the week into the people of God. Now, that's not hard to do because at the moment, we, we just have one service on a Sunday. If we got to the stage where some churches got like five services on a Sunday, then you, that is genuinely, you need other time because this is, you've probably bent it out of shape, to be honest. But if I say to people, well, I've got a day off and you're not to disturb me, then the danger with that is what I'm saying is I'm no longer in community. So I think there's a really, and, and you're probably not the right audience to have this conversation with, but there's probably something to think through. Well, how do we view our Sunday worship? 
Um, and how do we keep Sunday worship as simple as possible so it's not as onerous on... Will you please control your coffee on your table? Because thus far, you've done rubbish. You're not having another break. I'm telling you that for nothing. Um, how do we deal with that together? So I think, it's a, I think it's an interesting question about actually how do we deal with Sunday and how do we deal with Sunday worship? And for Jewish people... The, the priests and the, and the synagogue leaders are there, but of course it's part of their Sabbath. We're reading the scrolls, we're reading scripture, we're hearing from God, we're trying to make sense of this. But then when we have times when we go off on our own, you know, again, we are in Jesus' needed time, is that then not Sabbath? It's not, it's not, it's not biblical, it's not old, te- it's not, no. <laughs> <laughs> I found a quicker way of saying it. Um, what I mean, there are times, of course, when you want to be on your own with God, but that's co- that's <laughs> that's called staying up all night and praying. That's time with Father. That's not necessarily Sabbath. I think the Old Testament picture of Sabbath is um, is of you being connected. I think it raises a whole stack of questions about community. I think it's, it raises questions about family. You know, like the, the Jewish tradition of Friday night, you know, the candle is lit and the children ask the father of the house, why do we do this? What's our story? How do we get here? You eat together as family. You eat together with whoever is there. There's no work done from Sabbath, uh, from, uh, daybra- uh, from uh, dusk on, on Friday to, to dusk on Saturday. Saturday is Saturday morning, you walk to the synagogue, you listen to the, uh, the, the, the Torah being read, you pray together, you come back home, you rest, all in the context of community. There's some elements of that that I think are deeply attractive. And what we've done in Christian circles so often is we fit worship into a busy day. <laughs> So we're going to, I've got a church and then I've got the traffic centre and then I've got to do this bit of work before a Monday comes and then I've just got to find this. And by the end of the day, it's kind of like I fitted everything in, but it doesn't feel like the gift. Well, of course, for them it was, yeah. Yeah. So I'm actually the Sabbath is like a good enough day, like with family friends. Yeah. You do the very thing that you don't, you don't need work, you don't, it's not economics, you don't make money, you don't, there's no provision involved. It's a day where you're totally indulging with each other, enjoying, goofing around, and yeah, community, family, and Sunday is the first day of the week and you start it off with worshipping the Lord. I think the principle is whatever, however you, you manage it. I think I think it's I think it's good, and I think however you manage it is the principle is you're not, you're not designed to work all the time. Is the simple response. 
Let's, let's move on because time's going to overtake us if we're not careful. Let me take you to then the second account. So this is one account we've just read. Let's take you to the second account. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and heavens. Without going into massive detail, people have wondered, well, what's going on here then? Does, does the writer not know that he's already given us the account? And some people have said, well, actually, what you've got is two different sources coming together and actually they're being woven together. In other words, this is just, or it could just be this is a different perspective. It's a different perspective. Or it could be two different stories that have been stitched together. Now, no shrub had yet appeared on the earth. No plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth. And there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground. Breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Interestingly, what causes him to be a living being? The breath of God. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden. Eden, word for paradise. And there he put the man he'd formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. Trees that were pleasing to the eye, good for the food. And in the middle of the garden was a tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there's gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs alongside the east side of Asher. The fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden. You mustn't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it's not good for a man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the air in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. Whatever the man named each living creature, that was his name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, the wild animals. Interesting that at this point, God gives a task of cataloging creation to humanity. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Not even a dog. So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he'd taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones the flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That's why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. So why? Why, why do you, why is a man and a wife united? Why do they become one flesh? Because they need each other to do the work of stewarding the world. 
That's why you get married. <laughs> That's why you find a complementary person. That's why Adam needed Eve to be a helper, the word that's elsewhere used of God, but he needs someone to help him because he can't do it alone. He needs someone who is like him but different from him. He needs someone who is so close that they share a rib <laughs> but different enough to be woman. <laughs> Sorry, I was just remembering the Coronation Street moment where Hilda said, it's woman, Stanley, it's woman. Um, <laughs> you don't want to know what's going on in my head. Um, someone who's different from you. Someone who is complementary to you. But you need the complementarity in order that creation might function. What I kind of want to really push is, this is not, you don't, Adam doesn't need Eve because he's lonely and he needs a romantic assignment. He needs Eve because he's got a task to do in the world. Now that may sound less attractive, but I think that's what the passage is saying. Adam and Eve... Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Is a verse with a whole stack of meaning. Where does the shame come in nakedness? When you've got too many wobbly bits. Thank you. <laughs> when your wobbly bits wobble too much. We're just going to speak in tongues for a while so that that image doesn't stay with us. You're right. Of course you're right. Of course you're right. Where there's other people. Where you might feel that you're being judged. I can see where this sentence is ending. Go on. I, I can see where it's going to end. We would be in a nudist colony. That's how it's going to end, isn't it? <laughs> we, would be, we would be unafraid. We would be all equal. We'd be equal and we would be unafraid. But there's a purity in that nakedness at this point. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the fact that there's no shame because shame comes with the fall. Yeah. So the purity of them being God and God walking with him is a yeah. It's just a wonderful picture of how, I think you said earlier, God wants relationships. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what, in, in that sense, he's bringing that when we get to relationships. Yeah. It, it's interesting, isn't it, that, you know, in our own culture, we have such a thing that is said by people who may never have read this passage about body shaming. It's a very interesting phrase, isn't it? That you're not good enough. You don't quite match up to expectations. The fear of being judged, the fear of, you know, whether it's aging, whether it's 
size, whether it's whatever it may be, it's a whole range of things, colour, whatever it may be, that you're just not good enough. But at this point, the writer says, there was a moment where they were naked and they were not ashamed. That is beautiful. Now the snake was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the snake, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the fruit of the tree that's in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you'll die. And of course, that's not exactly what God did say, isn't it? He just said, don't eat from it. Eva's added to it. You will not certainly die. You will not certainly die. The snake said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realised that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. It's kind of interesting that the first thing that happens is, I hide from you. No, that's in my head, just way, don't you? <laughs> no idea. It was <laughs> that Satan, he was doubting, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, you can see a whole stack of... The doubt is, is God telling the truth? Yeah. 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 And that's, that's the book, isn't it? Yeah. It's doubting God. Yeah. And the result is, the first thing that happens is, I figuratively hide from you. So this, this couple of people, this humanity now, are distanced from one another. We're not the same, so actually we need to cover ourselves. It's kind of interesting. There's a whole stack, but it's a brilliant picture. I don't, I, you know, I, this is why I think it's a, it's, it's a picture that gives us so much truth without it being, you know, someone saying, well, where did they get the needle from? You know, it's kind of like there's a, there's a, a better story here. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. First thing we hide from is one another. The second thing we try and hide from is God. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman <laughs> you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Not my fault. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? And the woman said, the snake deceived me. <laughs> and I ate. Not my fault. And the Lord God said to the snake, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock 
and all wild animals. You'll crawl on your belly, you'll eat dust all the days of your life. I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between her offspring, uh, between your offspring and hers. He'll crush your head, you will strike his heel. So this serpent animal symbolically now is crawling on the floor where presumably in the story the snake was had legs now crawling the enmity between the snake the serpent and the woman he'll crush your head you'll strike his heel picked up in Matthew uh, when it's talking about Jesus of course picked up in Galatians as well to the woman he said I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labour, you will give birth to children. What was the blessing of humanity? The blessing of humanity was fruitfulness. What now will happen because of disobedience is the very thing you were created to do will become more difficult. You'll still do it. You'll still be fruitful, but now it will come with pain. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. So in other words, this relationship that had been formed between you, that was one of uh, interdependence and equality, will now be shifted. And you, Eve, will desire your husband, but his response will be domination. So the first curse is the very thing you're created to do will be more difficult. The second curse is your relationship will be difficult too. It will be out of kilter. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I command you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you'll eat food from it all the days of your life. The blessing of the ground will still be there, but now it's going to be difficult. You're going to have to work hard. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you'll eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, to dust you will return. In other words, the thing you're created for, it'll just be hard. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. God made, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. There's the grace. The Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he'd been taken. And after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim, and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. The same tree of life you're going to meet in Revelation 22. So when God clothes Adam and Eve out of animals, is that a sacrifice? Yes. Good. Yeah. And therefore, that's why I actually don't need to sacrifice to get back in line with God. Yeah. 
I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if the second part of that is therefore, but I certainly think there is that element of an animal dies in order that you are clothed. Yeah. And the shame's gone. Uh, and the shame, well, it's not gone, has it? No. But it's covered. It's covered. There's something I noticed that's interesting with going through this. Again, you read these things, you still miss things, even though. And you, you, you're giving David Suchet a good run for his money with your reading, so thank you. I bet he's really worried. He's at Lowry on Monday, he'll be intimidated by that comment. But, but something what like, when he said, you know, chapter one, God, God created, God, God said, God, and then you go, with you going to. Um, Chapter three, on oh no, a chapter two, the Lord God. Yeah. And then when the serpent's talking to Adam, <coughs> he goes back to just calling him God. He doesn't can't call him the mm. Lord God. Mm. And I just thought that was an interesting device. Yeah. It is an interesting device because what the author has done is, and, and you, you might know this, but when the Lord, well, you do know this, but when the Lord is written, so in chapter three, verse one, for example, it's in capitals in the English Bibles. And that is a reference to the fact that it's Yahweh. It's the revealed name of God. Now that is, this story about Yahweh has not come yet, of course. It's not gonna to come till Exodus chapter three. So the writer is actually feeding this back in or doing something strange with it. But I think you're right. I think there is this sort of sense of the Lord who is the covenant making God, the I am who I will be, I'm the one that I will make known to you. This is the Lord who speaks to Adam and Eve. I think you're right. I think you're, you're on to what is being in, at least e echoed in the passage. There's a resonance in the passage of that. So, what are you thinking? Yes. To me, there's not enough, there's, there's a not God and there's a not of how pure and beautiful and wonderful it is. But there's not a lot of the nastiness, the devil. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing is, the devil's not here at all. <laughs> it's a snake. The snake is not actually explicitly equated with Satan. Because it's a snake. <laughs> Well, quite, and we're into this world as is this mythological language trying to explain a truth that is deeper than a picture would give you. I think, you see, we're, we're quick to equate things because of our existing understanding. And we might be right, I just hang on a minute, we might be right to do <laughs> we might be right to do that, but actually go with the passage itself. If the devil, if it's the devil, well, it would raise too many other questions. 
So let's just read what is said about this snake. Now the snake, chapter three, now the snake was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. No, no, that's the whole point. <laughs> the, the writer wants you to know there is nothing outside of God. Now, whatever this serpent is, and I think it's clear that what happens throughout Scripture is a rereading into this story of what's going on in the garden. And I think there's no doubt about that. But in the story itself, the creature, the serpent, is just a snake created like the dolphins. <laughs> Pardon? Crafty. But crafty. But not equated with the devil at this point. So creation itself. Now that now hopefully will raise a whole number of other questions that you want to take up with God. All right, there's a whole stack of questions here, but be careful. All I'm wanting to make a plea for is when you're reading scripture, be careful not to just bring all of the freight of your understanding from another part of scripture into it too quickly. Go with what the narrator's telling you. Let the storyteller be the one who tells you the story. And the storyteller at this point is not saying the devil was there from the beginning. He's not wanting to say that. Now, you may want to ask questions about that, but this pass these passages are not going to answer that. Yeah? Just to point out, in Revelation, it says that that ancient serpent... <laughs> well, quite. See, John is now wanting to say, well, that's what was going on, but the narrator's not telling you that. So, in other words, it's reasonable to go in to say, ah, oh, that makes sense of that now, but reading forwards, the narrator's not telling you that all right, is, is tantalising you. You should be, the problem is that most of us have been around the block too long now, we've lost that freshness of reading for the first time. But re read as though you're reading for the first time and allow the narrator to tell you what he wants you to tell you. Not you wanting to put onto the narrator all the things you know about this now. Ah, oh, well, that must be this and that must be that and that must be that. Because if you do, you'll miss the force of the story itself. It's, an it's a revealing story. It's not the only story. Does that help or does it make it more complicated? Excellent. <laughs> My work here is done. Now, what I wanted to do um, was um, wanted just to uh, finish off at this session we have today. Um, with some exercises that are on the second sheet of your notes that I sent out. And the, the, just together, for you to have some conversation on your tables, really, how do these chapters help you worship? How do they help you in your relationships? How do they help you think about work, about rest, about food, about creativity, about salvation? And it's just before 12. You might just need a time to go to the loo, and if you do, that's fine. But I wonder whether, please don't get any more coffee on your table, but could you work together, all right? Because essentially you're all wet and I don't want you to go with anybody else now, so you just stick together. I wonder if you 
guys can work together, the three of you there. You guys at the back will be fine. I wonder if you would join the couple behind you. Is that okay? They look okay. I've been looking at them all morning. They're fine. Um, and then perhaps you two tables could work together. And just effectively, this is a chance for you to reflect on. So in the light of the things that we've read and thought about, about creation, so how do they now help us in worship, etc., etc., etc.? Is that okay? <laughs>